As Joe said, my name is Danny Combs. I'm the student pastor here at Grace. Uh, me and my wife have been here for seven and a half years now. Uh, we love Nacogdoches. Uh, I think before, whenever I hear anybody speak that I haven't heard before, I always like want to know something about them, like why I should listen to them, you know, and, uh, or else I really just feel like I can't connect to them. So I always like to tell people at least a little bit about who I am and a little bit of my background. And so um, me and my wife both grew up uh, just out of, outside of Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, so we are originally Northerners, but all of our kids are Texans. Um, so I guess that gives us some kind of credit. Um, but anyway, I grew up in a uh, predominantly Catholic home. I went to Catholic church. I went to Catholic schools um, all throughout kindergarten through high school. Um, and I felt like growing up, I was so close to the truth, but I didn't know the whole truth um, in the church that I grew up in. And so um, I'd heard about Jesus, I'd heard about a lot of things, but I never really heard about a relationship with Christ and what that looked like. Um, and so all, my life changed in, in college, uh, in the stage of life where you guys are at now. And so this is always a really exciting thing for me to get to be in front of you all, um, because this is the stage of life that my life changed the most. Uh, and I used to come to meetings like this, uh, except the one I went to was on Thursday nights, and then immediately after, like, I loved the truth that I heard, and there was a lot of things that I was attracted to, um, and then immediately after, I would go downtown and I would party, and I did that for, like, two years in college. Uh, I was living on the fence, and I was living two different lives, and um, I was one person around one group of people, and I was a different person around another group of people, uh, and it was, after a while, that gets really tiring to try to be two different people um, all the time, and so eventually, God broke me, and, uh, and I submitted my life to Him midway through college, and uh, about that time is when I got together with my wife. Um, we didn't become husband and wife that quickly. Uh, we knew each other from high school, but then we got married. Uh, it'll be nine years ago this December. And so uh, we have four children uh, now. I'll start with the youngest. So get some of that because he's not in this other picture. Uh, this is Cooper. Uh, Cooper is six months old, as his little sticker tie says right there. Um, he is our newest addition. Um, and... He's just chill all the time, and he's awesome, uh, and he's got a lot of rolls on those legs. But, uh, so that's Cooper, uh, and then the other three children of ours is in this other picture. Um, are the next youngest is Annabelle there on the front, not looking at the camera, which is pretty normal. Um, she kind of does her own thing a lot of the time, likes to be the boss. Uh, she is two. Ellie is next to her. Uh, on the left there, and she's making a weird face because that's what she does. She makes weird faces. I don't know. Um, she's four, and then Owen is five in the pumpkin shirt, and those are swimming goggles on his forehead. Um, you can ask me why, and I can tell you I have no idea. He wanted to protect his eyes from dirt and stuff. I, I don't know. Um, but he is five. He will be six in December, and he just started kindergarten this year, and so we have one kid in school for the first time. Um, and that is my beautiful wife there. Um, and I was going to make this joke but I thought it might be inappropriate, so I'm not, that that sweet ass behind her that I love, like, but, but I'm not going to, um, because there's a little herd of donkeys there, you know? Um, but, because that wouldn't be appropriate in church. Um, but she and my family, this was just, what, yesterday? Yeah, yesterday? Uh, Yesterday, we, we were going to go to a pumpkin patch together, like a nice little family outing, right? And it was raining, uh, but it was like, you could tell it was going to stop raining, and so by the time we got to the pumpkin patch, it had stopped raining, um, but it was closed. 
And so, like, we were hyping this thing up, because that's what we do, is we hype things up for our kids for them to get really excited. Uh, and then we got there, and it was closed, and we were like, oh, goodness. Uh, thankfully, we had thought ahead of time, well, ahead of time being in the car on the way there, uh, as it was still raining, uh, and found some other things to do. But this was something that we didn't know was going to happen. Right across from the pumpkin patch, there was a pack of donkeys, a herd of donkeys. I don't, I don't know which, a pack? We'll go with a pack. A pack of donkeys uh, across the street. And so we just went and we hung out and we pet those donkeys for probably a good 30 minutes and our kids fed them grass and it was really exciting. And they were really excited and then we went uh, on our way to a museum that we had looked up online, this in Tyler, uh, a science museum, we did that. Uh, but on our way there, we found out that there was, um, we were driving by and there was this thing that said free admission really big, so that caught our attention. Um, and then it said uh, World of Wildlife uh, exhibit that like Brookshire's, it's sponsored by Brookshire's, right? Brookshire Brothers. Um, and so we went in there and we didn't know, we had no idea what this place was, but we saw it was free and there was a huge playground outside. So we thought, well, we could at least hang out there for a little bit and add this to our day of, of fun. Um, and we get in there and there's like four or five rooms full of animals that were once alive that are now stuffed. Um, so not, I told somebody that before, like it was a room full of stuffed animals and they were like, stuffed animals, that's awesome. No, I mean like they were alive at one point. Somebody had them stuffed, then mounted, um, and there were five rooms of this, like everywhere you look. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is a lovely room of death, right? Uh, but our kids, they thought it was awesome because there was like giant bears and all these animals that they would never see. There was a lion that they had mounted that was literally about to attack an antelope or something. And it was like the fiercest thing um, but our kids loved it, and it was fantastic. And it was another addition to the things that we never knew we were going to do that day. Um, and then we went to the science museum. It was really fun. And, and then we went out to eat together, and it was awesome. What, what could have been a really bad day turned into a really awesome day. Um, and I'll come back to that later. I promise that has relevance into what I'm talking about. Um, but I also just like to talk about my family, and I could just talk about them all day long. But that's not what I'm here for. So um, Ephesians. Uh, we are in Ephesians. Uh, this is actually what, what we've been teaching through uh, in student ministry as well. Uh, I've been through in, in the book of Ephesians myself. And so tonight we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Um, again, the author of Ephesians is Paul. Uh, he wrote the majority of the letters or the books in the New Testament. Uh, again, if you, don't, if you don't know anything about Paul, he was a, per, a chief persecutor of the early church uh, until he converted uh, when, when Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus. Uh, and that's in Acts chapter 9, if you want to read about that. And his life changed completely. He was killing Christians and, and all about that um, and all about putting Christians in jail. And then all of a sudden, he has this encounter with Christ, uh, with Jesus, and his life changes forever. And he starts telling people about this Jesus who he was persecuting people for. And that's what his life becomes about. Um, and during one uh, of his missionary, missionary journeys, he traveled to Ephesus. And he was there for about three years. And you can read about that in Acts 19 or 20. I think you probably looked at that the first week um, in here with Terrell. And then he wrote this letter to them after he left. Um, and so what I love about Ephesians, this is one of my favorite books, one of the first books I've ever studied in Scripture. Uh, my favorite thing is this, this, this idea is all throughout Ephesians in every chapter, and especially in the whole thing together, this idea that your beliefs will determine your behaviors. The things that you believe, um, the, your beliefs will produce the results, as, as Terrell often puts it in here, that um, your beliefs are what determine all those other things. And, and you shouldn't just focus on changing all your behaviors and changing all these results. 
you should focus on your beliefs and what you believe, because that's what determines everything else. Um, and this is what Paul really hammers on in, in this, um, and that'll play out in what we talk about tonight. But we're going to be in Ephesians 3, verses 1 through 6 specifically. Uh, last week, Terrell was talking about um, salvation is not only where we go when we die, not just all about where we go, heaven or hell, but there's much more to it than that. Um, and in order to be, begin to understand the full picture, you have to look at what God has been doing throughout history. Uh, if you know Terrell, Terrell loves history. Um, he loves taking you back to Genesis, uh, which again, he did last week. Um, and then not only Genesis 2 Revelation, I think he took you through last week. Um, what God has been doing in history, uh, and he has a gift of doing that, Terrell does. He has a gift of, of showing how the Old Testament connects to the New Testament and what God is doing big picture um, and that he's gathering all the nations, all the people back to himself, and Jesus is the primary vehicle through which he does this. Um, and he left you with a couple of great application points last week. He said you can't have a relationship with God outside of the local church body. Uh, you can't be this rogue Christian that's out by yourself trying to win people to Christ just by yourself. You need the church body. You are designed to be in the church body. The only way that we can fully experience God and fully be used by him is in the context of biblical community. Uh, he gave you a lot of reasoning behind why this is the case and a lot of big picture stuff like Terrell does. Uh, tonight, we are going to take it a step further and see how this plays out practically in the context of our relationships with other people and our relationships with people inside the church body and how that looks and what the effects are of those things. And so Ephesians 3, 1 through 6, um, we're going to dive into that. But I'm going to pray real quick uh, because if the Holy Spirit is not in this thing, then, then none of us are going to really get anything out of this that's worthwhile. Uh, Lord, we thank you for who you are. I just thank you for loving us. I thank you for your word. Uh, I thank you that you've given us your word in order to know you more. And God, that you've given us clear directions, clear um, explanations of who you are in your word. And so I pray more than anything else tonight as we dive into your word that we would know more of you, that we would know you better as a result of tonight. Um, God, that we would know you in a deeper way as a result of what you've shared with us in your word. Uh, so... Holy Spirit, we pray that you would speak to us, that you would open our hearts, open our minds for what you have to say tonight. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so Ephesians 3, 1 through 6, it says, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, when you read this, you can, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So we're going to unpack all those verses, um, and we're going to, I'm going to, because it talks about this idea between the Jews and the Gentiles, and that was all of what... Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22 was talking about. We'll talk about some of those things as well uh, and go back. I'm going to take you back all the way to, not to Genesis, just to Ephesians chapter 2. Um, and, and we'll look at some of that as well. But, but first, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. It's kind of a weird phrasing. Uh, he calls himself a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. What does he mean by that? Uh, when Paul wrote this letter, he was under house arrest in Rome. So he had been arrested in Rome, when he is writing this letter, he is under house arrest. Uh, and the reason he had been arrested, the reason he was put into prison, uh, was a result of his serving Christ, and specifically, in preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. 
And so in the course of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, um, Paul gets uh, mobbed and arrested by some Jewish people. Uh, and so when he is introducing himself in this, he is saying, or when he's, he's referring to himself as a prisoner for Christ on behalf of you Gentiles, that's what he means, is that he is in jail on their behalf because he was preaching for them, for their sake, and in the course of that got put into jail. Um, the, then he goes on, and he's talking about mostly in these six verses about this mystery, right? He says the mystery three times in the course of these six verses, the mystery. Uh, in verse 3, this is what we, what we know about the mystery. It is made known to Paul by revelation. So is this not something that he just came about by himself? This is something that was revealed to him. Uh, in verse 3, it says he, writ, he wrote about it briefly before. And I think it's specifically what he's talking about is in Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, which again we'll look at in a few minutes. Um, those things that he wrote in there about this as well. Uh, this mystery was not made known by any pre- in any previous generation. So this is like first time deal that this is coming about. First time, it's not like it was known from some generations and then people forgot about it and then now they know it again. It, this was something that was new. Uh, and that's in verse 5. And then also in verse 5, how was it made known? It was made known by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Um, I think you talked about that a few weeks ago too. There's just the power of the Holy Spirit is, is the power through everything, uh, through which everything works when it comes to Christianity. And so the Holy Spirit is what is the key to, to making this mystery known to Paul for him to share with these people. So what is this mystery? What is the mystery that he's talking about? He, he states it very specifically in verse 6. The mystery is that the Gentiles are, one, fellow heirs, two, fellow members of the same body, three, fellow partakers of the, same, of the promise in Christ Jesus. So let's start with the first one. Fellow heirs. An heir is somebody who inherits something, right? It's somebody that... Uh, if they're, if they're going to inherit something from their, their parents or their father, uh, they are, he's saying the Gentiles are fellow heirs. They inherit everything that the Jews inherit in Christ. So the Jewish people, and Terrell talked about this a lot this morning, this, on Sunday, and this morning when he was preaching, that uh, this idea of the Jews being God's chosen people, uh, and he, he talked about some last week as well, that they have all these things that they will, will know they will inherit because they are God's chosen people. The Gentiles didn't necessarily expect that they were going to inherit any of those things. But what Paul is telling them is that the Gentiles now, because of Christ, get to inherit everything that the Jews were going to inherit. All of those blessings listed in chapter 1, uh, if you looked at Ephesians chapter 1, there's this list of spiritual blessings that we get in Christ. Uh, things like being adopted, um, being, uh, we, we are holy and blameless in Christ. We are, uh, what are some of the other things he says? We have grace lavished on us. We are uh, blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. All these things, all these blessings that were talked about, they will inherit the same. The Jews and the Gentiles, they both get it. They're fellow members of the same body. So now what he's saying is that there are not two different types of Christians. There's not this Jewish Christian and this Gentile Christian. There's not this body of believers of Jewish people and this body of believers of Gentile people. They're all part of the same body. Everyone is part of the same body. Christ is the head of all of us, and we are all equally under his control and direction. So if I hurt, then you hurt. If I'm healthy, 
the healthier I am, the healthier you are, because we are all part of this same body. There's not this separation between the two of us. Fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus. What's the promise? The promise in Christ Jesus, one of the promises, one of the many promises in Christ Jesus is that we get eternity with Christ. So the Gentiles now, they get eternity with Christ just like the Jews. Just like the Jews, there will be no more tears, sadness, death, sin, etc. for any of those, any of us, Jews or Gentiles. And there's not a lesser portion of these promises to the Gentiles um, and that the Jews get more. They get what the Jews get. Everybody gets the same thing. So this mystery is that God has joined the Jews and the Gentiles into one new body, namely the, the church. And the church is supposed to be made up of Jews and Gentiles, and God has joined them together. For us, like, that's not, it's not a huge deal, because we don't, we don't fully understand, and I don't think we'll ever fully understand what the separation was like between Jews and Gentiles. This is such a ridiculously difficult thing for both Jews and Gentiles to grasp. Because they both grow up for years and years and years and years with this separation between these two groups. On both sides of it, they knew they were supposed to be different. They weren't supposed to be intermixing in any way. Jews and Gentiles were these separate things. Jews were God's chosen people. Gentiles were all these other people. And this was such a difficult thing for them to grasp. And I have no idea how to fully grasp that myself. I have no idea to, how to communicate that well to you. Um, I mean, we can only hit it a little bit, right? So like SFA students, what you think of towards Sam Houston students, right? That there's some form of hatred there, at least, a little bit. Or vice versa, right? And if you have a friend who was at Sam Houston and all of a sudden they're now an SFA student, there's like, you're really, I mean, maybe you go to school here, but you're not like one of us, right? Um, maybe even a bigger, a more understandable explanation is A&M students, Texas A&M students, the way they look at any other student in any other college, right? <laughs> that if you don't go to A&M, sure, you go to college, but is it the same? No. Sure, you have a football team, but is it the same? No. Uh, so there's, there's some of that that you, you can catch a glimpse of, but still, this is talking about people that hated each other, people that, that wouldn't even want to be in the same place as each other. We joke around about those things, but Kyle will be in the same room as people who aren't Aggies, right? He'll be in the same room as them. But th- we're talking about physical separations that were happening, physical separations between Jewish people and Gentiles and the way that they could even worship God at one point in their life. Um, if you look in Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, verse uh, 12, we'll start there. Uh, Remember that you were at at that time, he's talking to the Gentiles, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. So what separated the Gentile people from the Jewish people was the Jewish people had the covenants of God, they had the promises of God, they had God speaking to them through their prophets. Gentiles didn't have any of that. Jewish people had this, this, uh, this mosaic law that they could follow in order to cleanse their sin. Gentiles didn't have any of that. And so one of, the, one of the easiest ways to see that is, if you go on in verse 13, it says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off 
have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So these Gentile people who were once far from God now have been brought near by Christ. One of the best ways you can see that is through the temple. Um, We'll look at two pictures here. First one is this more detailed picture of the temple. Uh, In the temple, there were different different areas in the temple, right? So there was... uh, Not that one. Uh, There's a picture of the temple. Maybe we have it. Uh, Okay. So, yeah, let's start with this one. So in this temple, all that stuff in the middle, like the big building in the middle, it says holy place. You might not be able to read that. But in the middle, kind of up top there, it says holy place. So that's like the holy of holies. That's where God rested. That's where God's presence was. And so at that point in the Old Testament, that is the closest you can get to God. One person can go in there... um, to sacrifice an animal once a year to cover the sin of the people. And so that's the holiest, the closest place. And then outside of that, there's this court of Israel. So anybody who is a Jewish person can be right outside of that building. Only the high priest can go into that building. Anybody who is a Jewish male can go right outside of that building. Then, if you, you can see it's labeled on the bottom here. But right before the door into all this stuff in the middle, is called the women's court. So Jewish women are one step away from Jewish men, right? And if you've learned, if you've ever heard anything about Old Testament culture, women weren't treated very well, right? A lot of times, they don't have the near the, um, uh, as far as it comes, as far as like politically and socially and all those sort of things. So if even Jewish women have their own place, even though it's separate from the Jewish men, and then far over here on the top left is the court of the Gentiles, and on on the bottom right here, court of the Gentiles. So there's even like, a wall from all these things in the middle, and then the Gentiles, they may be in the bigger walls, but, but they're still on the very outside of that, okay? So they're, on, they're far off. And the same place that they are at there on the outside, that's where like people with their animals before they sacrifice them and things like that, animals are out roaming around in that area too. And so it's this kind of, well, you can kind of be around here. This is about as close as you can get, right? But so when he's t- talking about later on in verse 14, for he himself is our peace who made us both one and has broken down his flesh, in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Partly he's talking about literal walls here. If you go to that next slide, it's a little more simplified in case, there's a, in case you're not understanding me here. Temple in the middle, right? Court of priests around that. Um, court of Israel, which is, means all the Jewish men can be in that part. part. And then the women's court where all the Jewish women can be, and then outside all that is the court of the Gentiles. And so when Christ comes, essentially all those lines are gone, right? All those lines are gone, and we're all in the same place. This is what, this is what Paul is telling them, that all the lines are gone on that example, and we're all in the same place. And not only are we all in the same place, and Terrell touched on this last week, but us together, or maybe it was this morning, us together make up the temple of God. And so God rests in us as a group. So not only are there no more walls between us, we make up this temple together that God rests and resides in. We are literally part of the same temple. So we go from these divided walls to these divided places that are physical barriers, that were, where the Gentiles were physically far off and that they've been brought near. And, and I've tried to wrap my mind around this, and it's so difficult, because they grew up years, for years and years and years and years, and this was the case. And so, 
you're talking about years and generation after generation and family after family of this is what they grow up in. And all of a sudden, what Paul is preaching is all these lines are gone. And you're all on the same level, essentially. And so I used to think, oh yeah, well that's really difficult for the Jews, right? It's really difficult for the Jews because they were God's chosen people. They were the ones closest to God as you could be at that point. And so they had it all. And then all of a sudden you get to let these other people in who haven't done all the work that you've done. It's not fair. And again, Terrell talked about some of those uh, parables this morning. The parable of, uh, of the workers in the vineyard that, that get all the same day's wages even though they worked different amount of hours. And that they were angry because God is generous. And, and so I can see that on the Jews' side, and I always have kind of seen that, that the Jews would be like frustrated because they've been working, they've been doing what God has told them to do, they've, they've been doing these, sacri- these sacrifices and all these sorts of things, and all of a sudden the Gentiles, they just get let in. But what I begin to be thinking about these past few weeks is how difficult it was for the Gentiles. The Gentiles were always on the outside of this, always. And so even though those walls are down, how much... Are those walls really still up in their minds? That like, there's still a huge part of them that believe, doesn't believe that this could be real for them. So you're saying I get access to God now, the one who was far off, the one who was hanging out with all these dirty animals. Like I, I can have access to God now. So it's equally difficult, I think, for them to grasp that and to understand that and to believe that God would want them, because all they hear about is God's chosen people, God's chosen people, God's chosen people, God's chosen people, and I'm not one of them. And then all of a sudden, one day, Christ comes, and it's like, no, all that's gone. You, I want you. And he's always wanted all of us. This is, what, this is what Terrell was pointing to last week. He's always wanted all nations, all people brought to himself. And he was just going to use one group specifically to kind of help draw everybody to himself. But then through Christ, all these walls are broken down. Everybody's on the same level. And now he wants to use the church that's made up of Jews and Gentiles together as one body to show people who he is even more and draw even more people to himself. The Jews would even call the Gentiles in the beginning of of verse uh, 11 in chapter 2 here. It says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. The, The Jews used to call them the uncircumcision as a way to point out to them and remind them that they are not part of what of God's chosen people. So, so they, would even, they would even call them by that. So what I, try as hard as you can to, to at least get a picture of what kind of division we're talking about here. This is huge. I feel like the Jews would, lead, would read all these blessings in, in Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 2. Can you throw that list up for me? Uh, this list of blessings that you get, that you see in chapter 1 and chapter 2, in Christ, okay? This is what we read in Ephesians 1. This is what Paul is saying in writing in Ephesians 1, that in Christ we are chosen, holy and blameless, adopted into the family of God, redeemed through the blood of Christ. We are forgiven of our sin. We have grace lavished upon us. God's will is made known to us. We obtain this inheritance in Him. We are sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit. That's all in Ephesians 1. And in Ephesians 2, it goes on to say that we get his great love. We are made alive in him. We are raised up with him. 
We are seated with him in the heavenly places. We are saved by grace, grace through faith. We are his masterpiece. His masterpiece that he created. And then he talks about these works that he has prepared beforehand for us. And what I see in that more than anything else is we have so much purpose in him. I feel like if, I, if there was a Jewish person reading what Paul was writing, he was tracking with all of this and he was like, yes, this is us. This is what we get. This is awesome. This is who we are. And then this curveball is thrown in in the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3 that we just read where Paul is saying Jews and Gentiles get all of these things. And both of them would be like, what the heck? Both of us? Both groups get all these things. All those things listed on the left-hand side. They get it. All of them. All of these things they now have access to. So this is when, when the Jews are reading it, they're probably like, oh, what the heck? This is, I was tracking with all this stuff in the first two chapters here, and then I don't know about all this. And the Gentiles, too, are like, really? We get all of that? that? That I can have all those things now. Things that were so far off. I was so far off. How is that possible? How can we both, both of these groups get these things now? How can we, how can the level, how can the playing field be leveled in this way? How can these two groups be made into one church? At the end of verse 6 it says, through the gospel. All of this, we get all of this through the gospel. All this is through and because of the gospel. It's all because of what God has done through Jesus Christ, through his death on the cross, through his resurrection from the dead. It has nothing to do, nothing to do with what you could do or what you could not do. It has nothing to do with with, what you can do or cannot do for God. We can't take credit for any of it. Because why? Because apart from Christ, this is in Christ what we get, right? Apart from Christ... In Ephesians chapter 2, it says this, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, that we walked according to the course of this world, that we followed Satan, the prince of the power of the air, that we lived in the passions of our flesh, and that we were children of wrath. Apart from Christ, that's what not only any Gentile, but every Jew, apart from Christ is this. So this is why it's level. Because apart from Christ, it doesn't matter. Apart from Christ... We are all equally dead. Apart from Christ, we are all, the the promise that we have apart from Christ is wrath, God's wrath. And that's for Jewish people, Gentiles, that's everybody. Apart from Christ, what we have is death. What we have is God's wrath on us. And so if that's everybody apart from Christ, that means nobody, whether you're a Jew or not, has anything to offer God that could pay for, for what needed to be paid. The only person who could do anything to remedy this situation and to take us from death to life is Jesus Christ. The only person. This is why everything is level at the cross, because we are all equally sinful. And if we're all equally sinful, then we're all equally in need of a Savior. 
We are all equally dead children of wrath apart from Christ. And you have to get that. You have to know that. Christ is the key. So anyone in Christ, if he's the key and he's the one who's paid everything, anyone in Christ gets everything that he has. Because it has everything to do with him and nothing to do with what we did. So in Christ, we all get all of his blessings. So what's the, the application of this? There's one church. There's one body. He uses two examples in, the, in these two chapters. He uses this, this example of the body, and this example of the temple. The church is one body, the church is one temple. One body. There's only, the only distinction in the body, the only special position in the body is Jesus Christ, who is the head, the head of the church. Everybody else is just a part of the body. There's one temple. We are all bricks and pieces of that temple. The only distinct, special distinction or position is Christ Jesus, who is the cornerstone, which was what we sang about earlier. He's the one piece on which everything else is built. Everybody else is just one of those pieces. The church was created in order to draw more people to God. In order to give people a fuller picture of who God is, so that it would draw more people to himself. And so here's, here's the application that I see. If we're not playing our part in the body of Christ, and we're not playing a part in the temple of God, then the picture is incomplete and not as bright or as clear as it could be. Think about it this way, that if we're all called and we're all Jews and Gentiles, a part of the body, and we're not playing our role just because we think we should be divided still, that this person is better, or we're better than this person or that person, and we're not fulfilling our role in that, then we are not, we're not just, we're hurting ourselves and we're hurting the whole body. It's silly to, to damage your own body, right? And so we are literally hurting our own body when we're not fulfilling these roles that God has put us in. If we're the temple, if you take that example... We are literally tearing our own building down when we're being jerks and judgmental towards other people that are believers, right? And so, here, I know it's talked about, and I know it's, it's so important how we treat each other. Not just so that we can be good boys and good girls, Right? It's not just rules to follow. How you treat other people in this room is not just so that we can follow some rules that Jesus laid out. It's because it, the way that we love each other will show a, br- a better picture of who Christ is. If we love each other well, Scripture says that people will see God in a clearer picture of who he is if we love each other well. And I think it's easily overlooked and it's easily written off of this little thing of how we treat each other. And you can even think of the golden rule that most people learned when they were like in kindergarten or first grade, right? Treat others the way you want to be treated. Really simple, easy to remember, incredibly hard to live out. But that matters so much. Because this temple that God has built that we are a part of, it is a much more beautiful picture of who God is when we are doing this well. And so the way that you love people matters. The way that you uh, interact with people matters. The way you interact with other believers matters. And so 
think about it this way. There, it's easy to talk about Jews and Gentiles and, and, and remove yourself from that. Just think, J.D. put it this way when he, he was preaching in, in Refuge this week. Us versus them. This us versus them mentality. And, and us can be really any group. It could be us as believers versus people who aren't believers and the way we treat them. It can be us as a certain specific group of believers versus this other group of believers that aren't doing things near as good as us. So think about your, where you are and us's and them's and, and, and think about the them's in your life, right? There are people that maybe you are different than you, that are fully followers of Christ, but they're just different than you. And you're so quick to judge those people. That hurts the body of Christ. That hurts the picture of God to other people. So think about that. Those people that you think of, that you run to judgments of really quick and write them off really quick, that is hurting the body of Christ. That is destroying his temple. J.D. used the example when he was preaching on Wednesday that he, and maybe some of you had the same problem, and maybe still do, uh, when he first saw me, it was on a Sunday morning, and I was up here doing announcements, and I had a collared shirt that was popped, right, that was up. This is how I wear my shirts that are, have a collar on them. They'll be popped up. Uh, amen, Jerry. Amen that. Uh, but he said, when I saw this guy up there with a popped collar, it was like, who do you think you are, man? And he was like telling this to all the students. You know, this was his first view of me. Before he ever got to know me, before he knew anything about me, this is one of the things that, that determined his view of me, right? And he had some bitterness towards me for, the, for that and for other reasons. Think about people that, that you look at, that you see, that you don't know, and your judgments to them of like, my God, who they think they are. And you don't even know their story. You don't even know anything about them. And you jump to a conclusion because of something you see that you think you know about them. This is a huge problem. Why is this a huge problem? Again, don't think of this in terms as like, I just need to be a good boy or a good girl. No. The way I treat people communicates something about God to other people. The way you treat people communicates something about the God that we serve to other people. And some of those people don't know anything about God. And they will look to you and the way you treat other people and they will get a picture of God from the way you live your life. And so this matters. This matters a lot. You gotta stop, we got to stop tearing down our own, the, our own temple. That's what it's doing. It's like removing bricks as you're destroying and being destructive um, by being judgmental and, and, and jerks really to other people. You're just taking brick after brick and removing this thing which is supposed to be built up and be beautiful. And draw people to God. It's easy to do. And so we were talking through this with the students. Like, how do you, how do you stop that from happening? How do you keep that from happening? And I think one of the biggest things is figuring out people's stories. Those people that you do have judgments towards, go find out who they are before you start talking about them, right? Find out what their story is. Find out who they are, what their life looks like. And, and it's hard to be judgmental towards people that you know and that you know well. Uh, so that's one thing that I see in here is just how we treat each other and how important that is and how much we're supposed to work together and how much that makes a much more beautiful picture of who, who God is. 
And again, this all comes back to we don't deserve anything more than anybody else. Through Christ alone and through what he has done is what gives me my relationship with, with, with God. The other thing I see in here um, is, is this idea that expectations. Uh, the Jews did not expect this. The Gentiles didn't expect this in a lot of ways that they would be one body together. They had completely different expectations, and, and, and Terrell talked about this a lot this morning, so I'm not going to go into it, but um, the Jews had this expectation of the Messiah, of being this guy that was going to take over politically, going to put them on top, politically, socially, culturally, and that they would be the ones kind of in control and have the most influence, and that's how God was going to work. And then when none of that happened, they were upset, and they were really frustrated, and they didn't understand, and they didn't know what was going on, and so, I see this in, in here, that, that whenever we put these expectations on God and that God needs to do things in this specific way, then it takes us dangerous places. To put expectations on God, for Him to work in a specific way, is a really dangerous thing. And it will lead you frustrated and upset. And so, like I showed in that picture earlier, um, we had expected to go to Pumpkin Patch, right? If all of our expectation and, and my wife... And me had all of our expectations on that, and then it wasn't met, and we had no backup plan because we were so bent on our plan and the way we wanted things to happen, it would have been a horrible day for our kids because we would have been upset, we would have been frustrated, we would have been mad, we would have told them we were mad, then they would have been mad, and they would have been disappointed because we had expected to do this one thing, we held on to it so tight that no matter what, we were going to make this happen. But because we had that expectation, but it was pretty loose, and then we had a backup plan just in case it didn't fall through, or in case everything fell through, it ended up being a, an, an outstanding day, one of the best days that we've had as a family, because we had all these other things that we got to do instead. And it was actually a better plan, probably, than the one that we had, because we got to do more things, and some things we didn't even know about, like a rooms, rooms full of dead animals. I mean, it's fantastic. Uh, and we would never got to see that if our plans didn't fall through. But what so many of us do is we hold on to these expectations that God is going to move and he's going to move in this way and he better move in this way in my life. But if he doesn't, and when those things fall through, then who do we blame? God. God didn't come through. He didn't do the things that I wanted him to do. He didn't do the things that I wanted him to do, how I wanted him to do it. And we get super frustrated. You can have expectations for God, but have healthy ones. God is going to work. God is going to move. God is going to change people's lives. God is going to do what he wants to do. And he's going to br- draw people to himself. And he will use your life if you let him. But if you hold on to the specific ways that you think he should do that, you'll end up being as frustrated as, as the Jews were. Like, no, this can't be the plan. This can't be the way. We are always your chosen people. There's, we can't let more people in on this. Don't be upset because of God's generosity towards other people as well, Right? Don't hold on so tightly to your expectations of things and how you think God should work that you miss what he wants to do in you and through you. So one, one thing that you can apply right away, right, tonight, we're getting ready to have a meal right across the street. Go talk to somebody that you've never met before. Go talk to somebody specifically that you had something maybe against in your mind. That would be really awkward because now they know that, right? Uh, so it would be super challenging. Uh, but, but seriously, like, just 
talk to people, find out their stories, figure out who they are before you jump to these judgments and conclusions about who you think they are. Because all that does is, is dim the light of the gospel because all it does is, is tear down this building, this temple that's supposed to be something that draws people to God, that he's built in us to draw people to himself. Uh, so that's my challenge for you tonight, to apply it right away, is go meet somebody that you haven't met, hear their story. Um, don't be judgmental of people. Don't be so quick to judge that you don't even take the time to hear people's stories. One of the people that does this the best that I've ever seen, that just loves all kinds of people, is Jerry Kerr. Jerry Kerr, I don't think he's ever not loved somebody that he's met. Uh, he's the most loving guy maybe I've ever seen in my life. Um, and I feel like I'm doing it wrong if I don't cry before I end here. So, um, but he, he is. He is the epitome of this. He doesn't see people for these things on the outside. He sees people for the love of Christ. This guy has the love of Christ in him more so than so many people I've ever met in my life. And he has not met a stranger and he loves people like crazy. No matter what you look like, no matter what you act like, Jerry Kerr will love you. And the, that only comes from Christ. Only comes from Christ. And so if you want to see an example of it, watch him. Uh, it's awesome.